May the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. May they make sense and resonate because they come from your heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have always loved Easter. I love this time of year. All the best people are actually born in April, by the way. Leanne and I were married in April, and I love the changing of the seasons. Since becoming a minister, I've discovered that Easter is really hard work. But I've always reached a point in the Easter journey where I've looked out at the happy congregation and thought to myself, oh, I love Easter. But if I'm honest, the last couple of Easters haven't been a whole lot of fun. Last year, all of our services were completely online. And this year, we um, only found out on Thursday whether we could actually hold services in the way that we'd planned. And I know I should be grateful um, that here on the Gold Coast that we, we can actually gather both physically and online. I know that the Archbishop of Canterbury is doing his Easter service this year from his kitchen. And there are all over the world places who cannot physically gather in any way, places who can't sing any type of song, mask or not. But over the last couple of days, I've realised that it's not the same singing hallelujah with a mask on. How do we cry Christ is risen hallelujah when our voices are muffled and muted? Maybe others are feeling the same way. Maybe your travel plans have had to be cancelled. Maybe the family that you were hoping and expecting would arrive haven't been able to come. Maybe you're worried that your business won't survive. Maybe you're not sure whether there'll be a job for you now that JobKeeper's ended. The truth is that we don't have to be happy to hear the Easter story. In fact, the best time to hear the Easter story is when we're not feeling our best. Resurrection works best when we need resurrection. Those who came to the tomb on that first Easter morning weren't exactly in a positive frame of mind. First we hear of Mary, and then we know that she's off in a panic. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. In the culture of the time in which she was making that claim, no one would believe the witness report of a woman. Women were not permitted to give evidence in court. So it's actually not, quite, not surprising that she rushes back and then Peter and John rush off in response. Because if someone has taken Jesus' body, then they would have been the ones who needed to go to the authority and report it. Ironically, the two people who rush off to check for themselves include Peter, who the Gospel of John has just shown has lied about his relationship with Jesus. 
And the other person is the writer of the Gospel of John. So you've got a liar and a witness to that lie rushing off to make sure that they can actually verify Mary's statement. We're told that when they get there, John saw and believed. But what did he believe? Well, the man himself goes on to say in the very next sentence, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so they turn around and go to their homes. Plural. They actually didn't stay together. Peter and John went separate ways. It is possible that they went with a sense of hope. Rattling around their heads, they might have been saying, what what if, what if? It is possible that they believed and saw and straight away they knew Jesus was risen. At the very least, they left in a state of confusion and uncertainty and went their own way back to their homes. Looking at the Greek words is actually important to understand what's going on because in the Greek there's actually no word for home. It's actually quite specific. The Greek word means that they went their own separate way. They weren't together. Now, that's not the behaviour that you would expect from two men who have seen and witnessed the best news ever. And so, we are left with Mary. Weeping outside of the tomb. Again, the Greek words are helpful. There is a Greek word that means to weep silently. But this is not that word. John uses a word that means to wail audibly. One of the most convincing aspects of the resurrection that I personally feel is persuasive above others is that the heart of the Christian faith, the resurrection, the belief that Jesus rose from the dead is built on the witness of women. Matthew and Mark include another Mary, while Luke just generalises and says that they're women who get there first. But this morning, I want to have a, a closer look at Mary Magdalene. She was a woman who we know from Scripture had demons driven from her by Jesus. We also know she was a woman of means, But at the very least, at some point in her life, she was seen by those around her as a woman who had questionable stability until she met Jesus. Let's pause just for a moment while we consider the gravity and weight of what we're witnessing. The foundation 
of our faith as Christians is Jesus rose from the dead. This is a faith that has been tested over the generations, over and over again. Men and women have died proclaiming this is true. And the first person who gave witness to this was a woman who was hysterical with grief and who had a past that was easily identified as unstable. I know that there are sceptics out there who say that the Christian faith was just made up by those disciples. But why would they put women at the forefront of the story in that culture? I mean, even our enlightened and evolved culture today still has difficulty in accepting and acting on the testimony of a woman. Imagine how much more challenging it would have been in Jesus' time. John doesn't tell us how the other disciples reacted to Mary's testimony. He just moves straight towards Jesus appearing before the other disciples. But this should make us stop and think, right? Or is it just me? One of the things that I've realised in the last few days is that I do not like singing with a mask on. I love singing. I have what they uh, say in the biz is a strong voice. I don't purport to be the best singer, but I sing okay, especially when you add a little bit of auto-tune to recording. I sound great. I know I can lead a song and carry a tune in a group. And even when I'm not up front with a microphone, I love to hear my voice cutting through a crowd with a strong melody or a pronounced harmony. But with a mask on, that's hard. Because not only is my voice closer, it's also harder to hear above the crowd. And I've also found myself singing quieter. And it sounds muffled. In fact, I found sometimes I just stop singing and listen. My voice is muted. I'm also a man with strong opinions. That won't surprise some. If I'm in a group of people and I have an opinion on something, you'll generally know what it is. But what if my opinion doesn't matter as much as I think it does? What if I don't have to be heard or express it all of the time? Who is the Mary that I normally speak over that I might actually start to listen to? Who is the bearer of the voice that carries the good news of the resurrection? The good news of resurrection that I still need. I love Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah. I fell in love with it after hearing Jeff Buckley's version. It's one of the most covered songs of all time. From the extremes of 
Rufus Wainwright to U2 to Bon Jovi to Bob Dylan and Katie Lang. It's been covered over and over again. A couple of weeks on a podcast, I heard some of the story of this song. The version of the song that I fell in love with was actually a cover version of John Cale's cover version of Leonard Cohen's original song. The song that most of us have a favourite version of, which has been on countless TV or movie soundtracks, been sung relentlessly on singing talent shows, and covered by more people than I'd like to imagine, is actually a cover of a cover of of an original. Leonard Cohen, depending on when you asked him, would say that he wrote somewhere between 50 and 80 verses to the song Hallelujah and worked on it for over five years. John Cale rearranged it, changed some of the lyrics, focused on the verses that he thought were the most cheeky and he reintroduced some of Leonard Cohen's biblical imagery. And he released a version that hardly anybody heard, except Jeff Buckley, who played it live and released an album that hardly anybody heard, until Jeff tragically died. And now I'm not sure there's anyone who hasn't heard the genius of this song. Through a twisted tale of coincidence and circumstance, the fragile and elusive genius of this song was revealed. Not just to one or two, but to the world. But once you've heard it, you won't easily forget it. The hallelujah that we sing at Easter is not a twisted tale of coincidence or circumstance. It is not a fragile or elusive genius. In contrast, the hallelujah we sing at Easter is clear, it is available, and it is audible to all. We just need to stop listening for our voice and start listening to the voice who bears the truth of this hope. There's an old saying that we don't read the Bible, we let the Bible read us. What if this Easter we let the resurrection story read us? As it does, what are we confronted with? What are we shocked by about ourselves, about our world? Do we see Jesus? Do we hear his voice? Do we start to see others differently? Do we hear their voice more audibly than we used to? Do we listen to what they have to say? And maybe we can join the chorus and sing our own version of hallelujah with the choir of believers who have sung it throughout the ages and are continuing to sing it now, despite a pandemic, despite their own voices being silenced. And because of that, they're seeing it even more. 
Ironically, because of Leonard Cohen, our increasingly secular world still sees relevance in the word hallelujah. So sing it. Sing it softly. Sing it loudly. Sing it with a mask on or at home with your mask off. Sing it in unison and sing it with harmony. Even when it is muffled, even when it is muted, and especially then. In the spirit of in which this song has been written and adapted and evolved, in the spirit of which the resurrection story needs to be told and hallelujah needs to be sung and resung the same way and different ways and new ways over and over and over again. In the spirit that the resurrection is a story we need to be told each day of our lives, a story I still need. I thought I'd have a crack at writing a verse. In the spirit of Leonard Cohen's story of this song, I think it's okay. But I wonder, how will you sing hallelujah this Easter? What will your voice sound like? How will your verse read? It's a mom. 